listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Do not move the microphone after you turn it on. Another thing that I'm learning about being in radio. Thank you so much for joining me. What a lovely day. And I'm so happy to uh, introduce our guest for the next hour. Uh, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, is with us. I know everybody's a little bit hungry. We have some sandwiches. Justin, how do you like those? I was hoping for sushi. I love Chinese food. All right, we'll try and get that for you. Justin Trudeau will be with us throughout the hour. I want to begin with this announcement from Buckingham Palace about the name of uh, the baby. Uh, If you're of a certain Republican coloring, you're like, what baby? I don't care. But nevertheless, the name is... Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor. And if you were a betting person, if you were betting, you would lose money, probably, because Albert was the top choice at uh, 12 to 1. Philip, also a leading contender, 12 to 1. Arthur, 16 to 1. James, 16 to 1. Alexander, 20 to 1. I don't even see Archie in here. If you had Archie, I think you're, you're walking away with a dollar or two, I think. Uh, also, if you are of a certain vintage, the second you heard this name, you thought about this. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. Now, that, that was when television was fun, right? That was when television... Nowadays, we have Game of Thrones, so we need to have people's heads lopped off to be entertained. But back then, you could have a fat rube spew racist garbage at you on the television, and that was entertainment. <laughs> Kawhi Leonard there. And we're going to be talking about the Raptors, and the Raptors... Uh, we're going to be talking to the Raptors chaplain coming up. That's going to be great. Uh, but I quickly back to the prince, the new royal, Archie. If you're a vin- certain vintage, of course, that's what you thought of. If you're perhaps a bit of a more of a millennial, a little bit more of a hipster, this is kind of, I think this song, about 20 years from now, when all of a sudden there's a ton of Archies wandering around who are 20 years old because of this, uh, this song will suddenly, all of a sudden, be everywhere. That is Toronto Indie Band, always with Marry Me, Archie. Archie, marry me. I want to quickly get to this uh, significant announcement from GM this morning. $170 million in terms of new investment. Of course, the company trying very hard here to sell this is a positive I want to play for you the clip from the president of GM Canada. This is Travis Hester talking about this investment that they are making, which is, let's be honest, a far cry from where we were in terms of jobs. But here is the GM president, uh, president of Canada. I want to send a strong and positive message from GM to the people of Oshawa. With our Canadian headquarters, a sales and marketing organisation, the OnStar Support Centre, the Oshawa Engineering Centre and the new announcements that I've made just here mentioned, GM plans to be one of Oshawa's leading companies and employers for many decades to come. 
Accordingly, I'm also very pleased to announce GM intends to donate three, the three-acre Fenland Park and the 87-acre McLaughlin Bay Waterfront Wildlife Preserve to the city for the permanent benefit and enjoyment of Oshawa citizens. Oh, yeah, sorry about that plant. How about a park? There's birds. The birds are free. The birds come with the park. How about a park? Park is Parks are nice. That is 300 jobs being saved of the approximately 2,600 union jobs at the plant. Here is Jerry Dias, the Unifor president, and full disclosure here, I am a member of Unifor. I have no choice in the matter. It just comes with the job. Nevertheless, here is the president of Unifor talking about the reality of the decisions that had to be made. Do I believe this is perfect? The answer is no. Am I upset about the thousands of families that have lost all kinds of sleep in the last five months? The answer is yes. Am I concerned about the community of Oswa? The answer is yes. A lot of people have lost a lot of sleep, including me. But what I do know is that to play your cards, you're dealt, and you make the best out of a bad situation. And I will suggest that instead of us facing a hard closure in December of this year, we have discussed and secured, and we have an understanding between the, the parties of a long-term commitment. And that's better, I will argue, than where we're heading. That is Unifor President Jerry Diaz reacting after the announcement with GM today of an investment in Oshawa, a footprint that will remain for the automaker but a far cry from what they had. Also, just the way that Jerry talks. If you heard the news and then you heard that clip, I'm just wondering, does Jerry always pose questions to himself and then answer them rhetorically? Like, sort of like, this is like, it, am I thirsty? Well, yes, I am. Is it time for dinner? Yes, it is. Maybe that, I think that's just the way he talks every day. Sorry, President. Uh, please do not have me blackballed. Uh, the re- uh, response from Todd Smith, the Minister of Economic Development, welcoming the agreement between GM Canada and Unifor. Good news for the city of Oshawa and all of Durham. However, with a, while this agreement is a positive development, many workers still face an uncertain future as that plant scales down. Our government is there for those workers and their families. That's Todd Smith, the Economic Development Minister of Ontario, talking about the retraining program that the uh, ministry, or rather that the uh, provincial government, has brought in. So a lot of people be looking over that announcement. Quickly, I want to talk about Sam Oosterhoff. Have you heard this one? This is the MPP for the Niagara area. Police were called to his uh, riding office on Tuesday after a group of elderly adults with books were holding a read-in. <laughs> 15 retirees and seniors were in there, but they walked into the office, you see, and then they wouldn't leave. And they said, well, they said, you got to go. And here here is the response from Sam. And I think it makes sense. We deal with sensitive subject matters and constituents deserve privacy when in my office. After the individuals would not leave my office following their protest in order to protect individuals coming in with private meetings and staff, we needed to clear the office. So there, that's the response from Sam. I want to quickly go to the Scotiabank Arena, and what a win last night by the Raptors. And if you've ever been to a Raptors game, you're going to know the voice coming right up. This next guest is the in-house announcer for the Raptors and also 
the chaplain for the team. I spoke to him on Global News last night. Here's my interview with the guy who provides spiritual guidance to the team. Every team in the NBA actually has a team chaplain or team chaplains. It's a chaplaincy program. It is an opportunity for players to avail themselves of essentially another service in addition to the things that the team provides. So one of the things that one of the reasons that prayer and pregame chapels are important for many of the players across the league is it's a key component of their game preparation. Guys have, you know, players, especially professional athletes, are notorious for having routines and things that they adhere to prior to a game. You've got guys who get taped in a certain way, guys who do their warm-up at a certain time, and having a time of prayer and a chapel time is an essential component of preparation for many, many dozens of players across the NBA. And every one of the 30 teams in the NBA has a chapel program. That must make your relationship with some of the players very special. It does. There's no doubt about it. Over the years, we've been doing the chaplaincy program here with the Toronto Raptors since our second season, so the 96-97 season. And over that time, obviously many of the players who have I have announced for on the court, in addition to that, the number of players that have come through our chapel and through Bible studies has been incredible. And I've had the opportunity to get to know many many players over the years in a much more in-depth and a much more personal capacity a more personal layer than simply announcing for them here on the court it's one thing to get to know a guy who scores you know a double double or 23 points and gets seven rebounds at a night it's another thing to get to know what's going on with his family you know illnesses struggles that times of thing that type of thing injuries and whatnot and what his real core needs are so yeah some of the relationships over the years have been absolutely precious and I could go on and on with numerous names of players that most of your viewers will be familiar with if, if they've been Raptors fans. But yeah, it does give me an opportunity to get to know some of the guys really well. Very grateful to God for that. We, we have to go, but could you please just call this for me, Kawhi for three? <laughs> if I do it right now, we're going to get a lot of attention, but we're going to say, Kawhi for three! How's that? That I hope beautiful. to be saying that an awful lot in a couple hours' time. That is a hymn to me, sir. <laughs> Herbie Cook, thank you so much. Wonderful, Alan. That's a, that's a beautiful hymn to my ears as well. Thanks so much for the time this evening. Hope you have a great night. God bless. That is Herbie Kuhn speaking to me last night for Global News, and Herbie is the in-house announcer at Scotiabank. Love to hear him call, and man, did he get to call that last night. What a game, 125-89, to just a commanding win for the Raps. Just a beautiful thing. Uh, Justin Trudeau, are you enjoying yourself? Do you think this program is illuminating? I think that's insulting. But, oh, well, that's not fair. Welcome back to the program, and if there is one thing that we love to talk about in the GTA next to the weather, everybody's like, hey, it's a good day, nice, it's not bad. And then you get about 15 seconds of that and you get right into real estate. Am I right or am I right? Yes, everyone loves to talk about real estate in this town, and we have recent numbers from the Toronto Real Estate Board just out this week, and uh, sales roaring ahead in April, 17% up. 
The average sale price for all types of homes, this is in the GTA, this is Toronto actually, is up 1.9% in April. $820,000 is the average sale price. Good luck finding something in that price range. Toronto's strong sales stand in contrast with Vancouver, which had its worst April for home sales in 24 years. The difference between the two cities could not be more stark. Sales down 29% from the same month in 2018 in Vancouver, and the benchmark price for detached homes, condos, and townhouses dropped month over month for 11 consecutive months now. Now, the average detached house price in the city of Toronto, this is the average detached home price in the city of Toronto. This is the golden goose, the holy grail of home ownership. On average, $1.355 million. Detached prices in the region, 905, is $914,000. Now, when you look at what's happening in Vancouver... Part of what's happening there has to be seen through the lens of illegal money and money laundering. We know that there is illegal money and has been illegal money in the Vancouver market. And increasingly, there is suspicion that it may be here as well. So when you look at the Toronto market and those inflated prices, what's behind that? Is it truly demand? Or is there something else going on that if we were to prick that illegal bubble, and I use that word carefully because when you say bubble, everyone runs for the exits in real estate. But if we do that, what happens to home prices? What happens to your home, your condo, your investment? Marco Ovet is an investigative reporter at the Toronto Star. Bruce McMeekin is a corporate litigator and both join me on the line. Hello to you both. Marco, I will begin with you. What do we know about money laundering and perhaps illegal proceeds in the Toronto and the Ontario real estate market? Well, the simple answer to that one, Alan, is not a lot. What we know is, in theory, there are not enough safeguards here to actually find and root out dirty money and separate the wheat from the chaff, separate the legitimate uh, real estate transactions from the ones that are hiding money. And, the, and, th- and that's the major problem. But because we can't separate those two, we have no idea of the scale of the problem. Is there a house on every block that's organized crime money? Or is it just a couple condos? We have no idea. So what, what we've sort of, I've been working on for the last few years is trying to, to, to go out and find it. But it, you know, it, it's uh, looking for a needle in a haystack. There are you know, millions of houses, and which ones are the ones that have the dirty money in them? Do we know that the correction, the market correction in Vancouver is, can be tied to dirty money in any way, or, or, or am I off base on that? Uh, it's, it's very difficult to make a, you know, one of these causality things. But what we do know is that the, 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 the correction happened immediately after a whole bunch of reforms got brought in. So you have to say that the, the market is reacting to those reforms. And the reforms, you know, I can remind you, are foreign buyers tax, vacancy tax, and, and those two, the combination of those two things, of course, would discourage what? 
empty houses owned by foreigners, which also happens to overlap with the kind of things we see when you're money laundering. You have foreign money coming into the country, buying up a place, and it's not for anyone to live in, it's to park money. And of course, later when you sell it, that money's clean. It's a convenient arrangement. And so they have targeted empty houses owned by foreign money, and it also happens to have killed the market. So you do sort of look at that and say, well, perhaps it means that there's an end to this foreign dirty money going in there. But of course, if we were to bring in those precise kind of changes here in Toronto, we may see a correction. I want to move to Bruce McMeekin and talk about the fact that this illegal money, this dirty money has to be handled at some point in the transactions by lawyers. So how culpable are lawyers in this problem? Bruce? Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, uh, to some extent, they, they are culpable. Um, uh, every, everybody has probably heard about the principle of solicitor-client privilege. And there's a uh, court decision, Supreme Court of Canada decision from 2015, which found that lawyers, uh, because of solicitor-client privilege, which protects the confidentiality of their clients and communications between clients and uh, lawyers because of solicitor client privilege, which the court found to be a principle of fundamental justice, which so it's right up there with your right to a fair trial, your presumption of innocence. Because of that principle, uh, lawyers are not obligated or aren't under the obligations in the anti-money laundering legislation to report transactions that may involve their trust accounts. So um, in the result, um, I'm going to say that my head's not completely in the sand. I think most lawyers and law firms uh, voluntarily uh, comply with the know-your-client provisions of the money laundering legislation and both the client and retainer that they think smells. But there, there are a few bad apples. Marco, I'll just move to you. You talked about the, the the fact that we just don't know very much. Is this privileged information between lawyer and client the the barrier to finding out what's really happening? Well, there's a bunch of different bottlenecks in the system, and, and it's kind of up to the government and the governments, because, of course, this is both provincial and federal, to figure out where exactly do we want to put the checks in to catch the dirty money, right? Uh, one of those places could be the lawyer-client relationship, right? If you make the lawyer say... Um, <clears throat> You know, you need to know your client. You need to know where the money's coming from. You can't accept it and put it into your trust fund or, you know, participate in a real estate transaction unless you're able to sign off on all of that, which is, I might add, what real estate agents have to do, what uh, banks have to do, what credit unions, mortgage brokers, all of those people follow anti-money laundering law, but lawyers don't. So there are these roadblocks already in the system, but one of the things that has come out over the last few years of reporting, international reports, national reports, and, and, and you know investigative reports, is that the key way, actually, to hide dirty money isn't really to um, have have a lawyer who's on your side who's going to look the other way. The key way to do it is just to uh, incorporate a numbered company or to put your money through a trust fund. And what that does is it takes your, it decouples the name and the money. So, so this is not a situation like a better call Saul kind of moment. This is not a, this is not a guy who's complicit actually, you know, in a scheme is what you're saying. 
We, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't even need a complicit lawyer if you just incorporate 1234 Ontario Limited. Then you bring in your drug money and you open a bank account for 1234 Canada Limited, and then you use it to buy houses because your lawyer just thinks they're acting for 1234 Canada Limited, and you could be Al Capone who owns it, but your name isn't on the company. <laughs> I like the reference. Bruce, is there a solution here in terms of that that privilege, or, or are we just sort of barking up the wrong tree here? Well, I, I, I think the, the point that was just raised about uh, shell companies is bang on. And I think the C.D. Howe report, which was released earlier this week, has a, an extremely good idea and that we, we have a transparent uh, process for publicizing the beneficial ownership of shell companies. Um, the transparency is important because anybody can lie on a form, uh, and if it's held privately and not subject to public scrutiny, the detection of that dishonesty is, is less likely. If it's held publicly, everybody can see it. It acts as a check on the system. But uh, the the use of shell companies uh, to purchase properties, and, and this this is something that, 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 that lawyers may uh, be involved in unwittingly uh, because they have a client that comes to them, uh, wants to use uh, another company to buy a property, and there's nothing really that, that, that jumps out to the lawyer that would suggest that there's anything wrong with the transaction. So I, I think, I think you've, you've got to appeal for that transparent process that the C.D. Howe report came up with. Bruce McMeekin is a corporate litigator. Marco Oved is an investigative reporter in the Toronto Star. This is such an interesting topic, and we just simply don't know exactly where it is going, but I appreciate both of your perspectives. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alan. Money! Lots of money! That's what we all need! My goodness, I need that money. Welcome back to the program and a just delightful day out there right now in the city of Toronto. Unfortunately, it does not appear it will last. We have rain coming in. There will be rain again tomorrow as well. We seem to be in this, and I was talking to Anthony Farnell, our meteorologist at Global News about this. We seem to be in this pattern now where we're getting these uh, the storms that come up through the United States and they're on the same track and it's it's time and time again. And it looks like, at least in the short term, he was saying, as I try and pretend I know something about the weather, uh, but he was saying in the short term that this is the pattern that we're going to be in. There's a little bit of sun here and then boom, and then it's all gone and it's rainy and crappy out. So, well, well welcome to spring, I suppose, is the way it goes. And you know, some of that it has such an impact on your mood. You know, you, you go outside today, and it's sunny, and it's lovely, and you feel good. And then tomorrow, well, you know, it, it's overcast, and maybe that has an impact on your mood. And, of course, there are many people, many of us, who it doesn't have anything to do with the weather outside. Our mood is sometimes impacted by imbalances in the brain and mental illness, and that's something that we are seeing increasingly in children. 
An estimated 1.2 million children and youth in Canada are affected by mental illness, but less than 20% of them will receive appropriate treatment. And listen to this. After unintentional injuries, including car accidents, suicide is the second biggest killer of kids in Canada. More than 5,800 Canadian children and youth die by suicide. That is during the past 13 years in this country. And in the past decade, mental health visits to emergency rooms have jumped 66%. Hospitalizations for conditions like depression, anxiety, eating disorders, all up 55%. And stress among children is estimated to have increased 45% over the past 30 years. And here in Canada, we don't get a very good rating. UNICEF Canada gives us an abysmal rating on the happiness index for kids, 24 out of 29 for major developed countries for child well-being. Why is that? And what is it that we can do to change it? To talk about it, I am joined by Dr. Melody Ashworth, who's a Ph.D., at the Willow Center. Thank you so much for joining us, Doctor. Good afternoon. Those numbers are sobering, and I have heard anecdotally from others I have interviewed that stress and anxiety amongst young people is an epidemic. Would you agree? I agree that there are increased rates of the symptoms, and I also think that families are more aware and educated about mental health, so I think it's a combination of you know, psychosocial stressors, but also greater awareness of mental health. So families are more likely to seek out help, and there's more um, support and less stigma now about getting help for your child or just having that mental checkup. We do physical checkups for our kids' health, and I think now there's more movement towards, well, let's see about my child's mental health and just get a checkup to see. It may be an odd question to ask, but do you see a downside to that? I mean, I just, I guess I wonder as a parent, I am so hyper aware. And then sometimes I just, I have a 13 year old daughter and I have to check myself and say, I think maybe that's just being the 13 year old girl. It's complicated. I I think it's, it's good to sort of offer the options to your teen, particularly adolescents, because if they're not motivated to come in and talk, it's very difficult to get them in to see a therapist. However, just sort of letting them know the options and and if, you know, the stressors or the things that are bothering are sort of perpetuating and not getting better, then they may more likely to say, hmm, maybe I do want some extra support on this particular issue or challenge in my life and to see it more as a, a, a solution-focused sort of um, support. For the younger parents out there or the parents of younger children or perhaps you have a younger grandchild in your life, tell me, Doctor, more about play therapy and what that is and if that is just a really good idea, just introduce that early in a child's life. Well, there's many different modalities or approaches to therapy for children and play therapy is one among many. And I would say that it tends to be used for younger children just because it's harder for children to put feelings or experiences into words and they don't have that abstract thinking yet. So they're more concrete and see things sort of in all or nothing terms. So play therapy allows a child to use activities, drawing, um, along with the therapist's help, and the therapist can help the child sort of articulate their experiences, make meaning of their experiences through concrete objects and the help 
of the therapist. Having said that, some children are ready to use more talk or they'll transition from play therapy into a more talk-based or skill-based therapy, but it really depends on the maturation of the child and their ability to articulate themselves. And it also depends on the, the underlying issues. So we know that, for example, play therapy is helpful for kids that are sort of have more mild to moderate symptoms. However, when children have very severe mental health symptoms, they may benefit from more of a structured therapy to help reduce those symptoms. So something called cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT, and, which is yes. very, very popular um, and, and has been proven to be very effective, especially in young people. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the symptoms, the severity, and sort of the willingness of the child to talk. Right. For some children, talking makes them more anxious or more confused. So, you, so to have some distance and use toys, activities, puppets to sort of displace that onto, you know, it's, it's the puppet that's feeling these things, not themselves. It makes it more digestible for the child to process emotions and to take in suggestions. Dr. Melody Ashworth is a children's psychologist, and uh, this is a, a fascinating subject as well, and something that I think a lot of people are thinking about, not only parents, but grandparents. If you have kid, kids in your life, you know, you, you, you don't have to go ask around much to find somebody that has uh, a situation that is like this. Thank you so much, doctor, for being with us. Thank you very much. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden You've likely seen it on the news, reported by reporters standing outside, lineups. There is another Ontario cannabis retailer open for business, and oh, hooray for that. The former HMV site, now rebranded as Tokyo Smoke, uh, 19 stores have been authorized to sell marijuana in this province, 17 are now open and selling the green, the cannabis. However, before we get all giddy about it, let's just take a quick moment here for some straight talk about cannabis and what it means to the developing mind, especially, and what it means to those of you out there, and you know who I'm talking to, who are chronic. You know the chronics amongst you. To talk more about this, I am joined by Gabriella Gobi, who is a associate professor at McGill, and a fascinating study, Gabriella, about what the impact of cannabis is on the brain. And welcome to the program. Hello, hi, good morning. Thank you. Uh, what is it that you found in your study in terms of what? Uh, exposure and use, especially amongst those that would be 2021, so that legal in this province to buy cannabis, what's the uh, impact of sustained use? Uh, okay, this uh, particular study was not done on people that consume cannabis 2021, but people that consume cannabis in adolescence, um, starting about age 12, 13, until 18, and then we measure the risk of depression, suicidality later, from 18 to 30. So just to point out the study. What we found is if you smoke cannabis during adolescence, 
in a young adult, you have an increased risk of depression, about 37% more, as well as suicidal ideation, about more 40%, as well as suicidal attempts. You're, you're talking about actual brain abnormalities that you found. Tell me about that. Um, we know from other studies that uh, Cannabis, when it's smoked during adolescence, that is a particular period of development, can also, in particular, change your brain. We have a lot of brain imaging studies that have demonstrated that some areas of the brain are impaired after smoking cannabis. This is why, because the cannabis interacts with a particular receptor in the brain called CB1 receptor. And this receptor is very important for the development of uh, the brain during young age. So since cannabis interacts with this important receptor in the brain, it's logical to think that the development of the brain will be changed if you smoke cannabis. What are the long-term impacts that you found for exposure to cannabis, somebody in that young age, in terms of their long-term IQ, now that we have had some sort of interaction in that part of the brain? Okay, in my study in particular, we didn't look at the IQ, but uh, there are other studies, I must say some controversial studies that demonstrate that can have an impact also in uh, IQ, in uh, intelligence, in the development of intelligence of people. But I might say this, uh, this uh, study is still controversial. So what we know, we know that uh, cannabis, when smoked during adolescence, can impact uh, the um, school outcome. For example, there is more uh, abandonment of school uh, or the marks uh, are uh, inferior compared to people that they don't smoke. So we can see a general effect uh, on uh, academic uh, outcome. Gabrielle Gobi is associate professor at McGill University and a fascinating study about the impact on the developing brain from cannabis. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Uh, let's uh, turn it over to a little rip and read. If you're a regular listener to this program, hi, Dad. Uh, we often, at this part of the program, we get the interns... We have a lot of interns here. And by the way, if you're interested in being an unpaid intern on this program, just call Rebecca, my uh, show producer, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell, and become an unpaid intern. And then what you get to do, you see, is you go and you get the wire copy, and you just pick out some, you pick out some stories, and then you hand them to me. You rip them, and then I read them. This is me, Anchorman style, this is, don't try this at home, cold reading, and for this, maestro. I'm ripping, and I'm reading. Modern day dannies are equal parts, oh, nannies, off the top, I blow it. All right, one more time, one more time, one more time, there's, there's vomit on my sweater already. All right. Modern-day nannies are equal parts James Bond and Mary Poppins. England's Norland College, a prestigious academy for aspiring nannies, makes sure to teach students self-defense skills, how to ditch the paparazzi, along with cooking and sewing, according to Inside Edition. 
It's a good bet that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will consider hiring what some are calling a scary poppins for their young son. That's because Harry's brother and sister-in-law, Prince William and Kate Middleton, employ Maria Moralo, a graduate of this academy, as the nanny of their three children. Florida woman pulled an alligator out of her pants, sheriff officials say. Sheriff officials say a Florida woman pulled a small alligator from her yoga pants during a traffic stop. The Charlotte County Sheriff's deputy stopped a pickup truck Monday afternoon as it ran a stop sign, and 22-year-old driver Michael Clemens told him he and his 25-year-old passenger were collecting frogs and snakes under an overpass. He gave the deputy permission to search bags in the trucks, and that is when she pulled a one-foot gator from her pants. Hey, those pants are treating you right. Mm-hmm. Uh, last word, as we're leaving here, we're going to mash it up. We're going to go to El Presidente, my president, uniform president, Jerry Diaz. Take us home! Do I believe this is perfect? The answer is no. But what I do know is that to play your cards, you're dealt, and you make the best out of a bad situation. And I will suggest... I want you to go to the bathroom. I want you to look in the mirror. Frankly, we aren't going anywhere, and we will be back. So all I want to say is that you haven't seen anything yet!